Section 9 of The Major Symptoms of Hysteria. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please contact LibriVox.org. The Major Symptoms of Hysteria by Pierre Janet. Lecture 9 The Troubles of Vision. The Troubles of Different Perceptions, Touch, Smell, Taste, Hearing. The Total Dissociation of the Function of Vision. Hysterical Blindness the partial dissociation of vision, unilateral amorosis, the contradictory characters of this amorosis, the dissociation of the monocular and the binocular vision, the narrowing of the visual field, the dissociation of the peripheric and central vision, the problem of hysterical hemianopsia compared with hysterical hemiplegy, dyschromatopsia, the troubles of the movements of the eyes you have just seen from our remarks on hysterical anaesthesia that this neurosis may disturb the sensorial as well as the motor functions this remark is extremely important and the sensorial disturbances due to hysteria constitute a very considerable chapter of pathology in this summary review of the great symptoms we cannot follow this disease into the domain of each perception moreover what will be said about a particular sense can easily enough be applied to all the others on what sense must we particularly insist what are the perceptions on which hysteria determines quite typical disturbances we have already spoken of the tactile sense besides we may remark that disturbances of the tactile sense are not quite separate that they are nearly always connected with disturbances of motion remember this old remark of a french doctor to whom in my opinion justice has not been fully done dr burke anaesthesia he said never exists without a myasthenia that is to say without muscular weakness no doubt in certain cases the tactile perception may be disturbed only as perception in subjects who need their tactile sense to recognize objects but this occurs seldom you may also observe disturbances of tactile localization particularly the singular phenomenon called allocheria in which the patient always localizes on his left side what is done to him on his right side and vice versa lastly you may connect with disturbances of the tactile sense certain abnormal pains and sensations but deliriums always enter into these phenomena or at least associations of fixed ideas no more do i insist on the senses of smell and taste they are very often disturbed in hysteria but scarcely ever so in an independent way their disturbances are nearly always associated with those of the functions of alimentation and breathing we shall find them again when we study the disturbances of the visceral functions it would be more proper to devote a lecture to hysterical deafness to disturbances of hearing in these patients which are often associated with disturbances of speech but may also exist separately beware of hysterical deafness it is frequent and if i mistake not occasions very numerous errors of diagnosis to recognize it with reference to these troubles of hearing i am glad to indicate to you an interesting study of dr g l walton deafness in hysterical anaesthesia published in the brain eighteen eighty three to recognize this affection remember that it is a central and not a peripheric deafness rini's well-known experiment will give you information concerning this first point when the deafness is peripheric when it is due for instance to obstruction of the canal to a disease of the ossicles or to a disturbance in the aeration of the drum the patient keeps the central audition you may verify it by making him hear a watch or a diapason applied to his teeth or to the bones of his skull 
the vibrations propagated through the bones are still heard whereas they can no longer be transmitted by the air in central deafness it is just the reverse and the hysterical disease is connected with this last group this being once established you will be able to make the diagnosis by studying the motile and contradictory character of this anaesthesia and by examining the evolution i regret not being able to insist any further on this curious symptom the study of which is now beginning to be in fashion but there is a sense so interesting from the point of view of hysteria and the alterations of which are so characteristic for the comprehension of this neurosis that i want to devote to it as much time as possible and it is the reason why our study on the hysterical disturbances of the perceptions must be above all a study on the diseases of vision one you know now the general idea that directs us in the examination of the innumerable phenomena of hysteria it is the idea of dissociation this disease seems to have an analytic power it decomposes the enormous psychophysiological system it separates its functions nowhere is this dissociation more precise and curious than in the case of vision the reason is that vision is a very complicated function which is subdivided into numerous operations and which plays a great part in the mind hysteria can effect on it every possible dissociation first it may separate at once the whole of the visual function from the ensemble of the mind this is the most radical and the rarest dissociation then it may cause the visual function to crumble so to speak dividing and subdividing it into its elementary functions doing away with one and sparing another with a cleverness that the greatest physiologist might envy you even see here an example of the services that hysteria may render to the physiologist by teaching him in what way composite functions are decomposed which he would be unable to analyze himself the first great disturbance we have just said is the dissociation of the ensemble of vision in other terms it is hysterical blindness this phenomenon is rare for it seems that the subject always keeps as much as possible the essential functions and loses only a part of the vision however the fact has been very often established as long ago as 1618 lepoix pointed out this blindness since then it has been studied by many authors and in this respect i especially draw your attention to the works of the french oculists such as landolt borel and parinot this total blindness comes on usually in consequence of accidents and it belongs to the phenomena of traumatic hysteria the following are the two latest cases i have observed a man thirty-eight years old was busy cleaning a machine a rag full of grease and petroleum caught in a gear and lashed him on the face the face was only dirtied and he did not trouble about the accident he washed himself but he had much difficulty in clearing his skin and eyelids of these fatty substances remark that nothing penetrated into his eyes and that he felt no pain in them however after an hour he seemed to see as it were a mist before him this mist grew thicker and two hours later he could no longer see at all his vision fluctuated a little on the morrow and the following days from time to time he could see a little chiefly with his right eye these fluctuations lasted for a month then they disappeared absolutely and for four years he remained quite blind here is a woman thirty-one years old whose story is similar in a laundry where she worked she received in the face some water mixed with soap and lime in consequence of the explosion of a boiler her skin was lightly burnt and her eyelids swelled she was in her menstrual period when the accident happened she felt very much agitated and very giddy during the first days she hardly dared open her eyes it was soon noticed that she could see no more the amorosis was complete for two years 
when i examined this patient there was already a slight restoration of the vision which was easily and rapidly completed in other cases the blindness is less serious it lasts a few days and disappears suddenly a woman of twenty-seven has the following singular habit while reading she sees as it were a red flash of lightning which illuminates the room she shuts her eyes and when she opens them again she sees no more once this accident lasted twelve days another time seven another eight her sight comes back suddenly just as it disappears it is needless to tell you that when the blindness is thus complete the diagnosis is very difficult and that you cannot take too many precautions of course you must first ask for a thorough examination of the vision made by a competent oculist you should beware of lesions of the fundus of the eye and of the optic nerve of hemorrhages of the vitreous body etc inquire into the state of the pupillary reflexes theoretically they must be quite normal in hysterical blindness it is a rule we have already seen it was so in the three cases of which i just spoke to you it is true you may have complications connected with the contractures of the iris but then do not be in too great a hurry to make a diagnosis of course you will find a great help in the study of the mobility of the phenomenon if you can provoke it sometimes this kind of blindness disappears absolutely in abnormal states in crises or in somnambulisms then it is all right lastly you will sometimes succeed in making the contradictory character evident and in showing that in reality the hysterical can see though she maintains the contrary professor jolly of berlin said in this respect those children who seem not to perceive any light nevertheless avoid obstacles unexpectedly put before them they do not behave like people really blind they must have a kind of perception you recognize in this our subconscious perception the establishment of which assumes great importance here it is however true that complete hysterical blindness which happily is rare is always very perplexing to physicians happily it is no longer so when we consider the incomplete and more frequent forms into which hysteria decomposes the visual function doing away with only one part of it the simplest and if i may say so the most amusing of these decompositions is unilateral amorosis which is simply grounded on the fact that man has two eyes and that total vision is a system composed of two visions very often you hear young people complaining that they see only with one eye they do not trouble very much however about this accident usually they do not know its origin and have noticed it by chance being one day obliged for some reason to keep their right eye shut they are quite surprised to find themselves in darkness you repeat the experiment and you recognize that they see quite well when they have both their eyes open but see absolutely nothing when one of their eyes is shut these observations are innumerable and they have given rise to many studies and discussions about hysteria it is perhaps one of the facts which served as introduction to the studies of experimental psychology the reason is that this amorosis presented itself in rather odd conditions and was for oculists an irritating problem why there is nothing extraordinary in the fact that an eye is affected separately it is because we find here carried to the highest degree the character of hysterical anaesthesia first this blindness occurs without any appreciable organic disturbance and without any impairment of the elementary function of the organ the eye is absolutely uninjured outwardly and inwardly its important reflexes are quite unimpaired however you may not infrequently recognize a suppression of the reflexes of peripheric origin i mean the corneal and conjunctival reflexes the touching of the conjunctiva or of the cornea with a bit of paper for instance will not bring on the spasmodic shutting of the eyelids we have there a reflex of superficial sensibility which may be disturbed 
but the pupillary reflexes to light and to accommodation are mostly perfect with a reservation of contractures of the iris of which i told you to beware in these conditions physicians are astonished that the subject cannot see in certain particular cases their distrust is still more justifiable as when for instance before the board of examination for recruits young men wishing to avoid military service maintain that they are blind of the right eye and that they are unable to take aim the army surgeon charged with the inspection has certainly a right to express some doubt when he does not recognize any objective disturbance in this eye and sees the pupil react to light as if the retina perceived quite well he invents subtle processes to find out what he thinks is a fraud the two prettiest of those processes are the letters of snellen and the box of fleece on an absolutely dark ground are pasted letters cut out of paper some blue others red to the eyes of the subject is applied a pair of eyeglasses one of the glasses of which is quite of the same blue tint as the letters and the other of the same red tint through the red glass which lets only the red rays pass through the red letters on the black ground can be seen but the blue ones become as black as the ground and cannot be distinguished from it while the reverse is true for the blue glass the result is that in these conditions the right eye can read only one half of the letters and the left eye the other half a person who sees with both eyes instinctively completes one eye with the other and reads the whole word without difficulty in these conditions a one-eyed person can only read a part of the letters now what does our recruit do with the eyeglasses on his eyes he quietly reads all the letters on the blackboard the box of flesh is still more ingenious here figure twelve is its schema the subject looks into a little box through two holes corresponding to his two eyes d and g at each end of the box are two colored spots two wafers one red r and the other white b for instance but the subject cannot see them directly he only sees their images in two little mirrors mm hidden in the bottom of the box in black paper and making an angle of forty five degrees with the bottom these mirrors cast the images of the wafers sideways in a strange way the object which in reality is seen by the right eye d appears on the left side in b and the object which in reality is seen by the left eye g appears on the right side in r neither however of those wafers can be seen simultaneously by the two eyes how would a one-eyed man who has really lost his left eye conduct himself when asked to look into this box he would say i see only one wafer the white one b for instance but what astonishes me is that it appears on my left side now usually i am not able to see on this side what will a malingerer do who sees with his left eye but pretends to be blind of this eye in reality he will see the two wafers but as he will think it necessary to suppress one he will of course suppress the one which appears on the left side the supposed blind side he suppresses the white wafer b and he declares that he sees only one wafer the red one on his right side now as this wafer r can only be seen by the left eye which he pretends is blind the fraud is discovered how do our hysterical patients conduct themselves in presence of this box you must admit that they look very absurd oftenest they naively say that they see both wafers you will understand that formerly in these conditions they were generally accused of fraud it is strange to remark that our hystericals are not lucky their accidents are such that they are nearly always mistaken for crimes or tricks some were burnt on account of their fits or devil's claws others were sent to prison in order to be cured of their amorosis however it may be these singular facts discovered by army surgeons had excited curiosity there was a time especially in france 
when the apparently insignificant little phenomenon of unilateral amorosis was intensely studied with the researches of that period are connected the names of Ragnard, parinot bernheim and perhaps also mine if you will allow me to recall it to the preceding experiments many others of much the same kind have been added you know the old experiment of the physicist brewster if the subject looks at an object with both eyes open and if you press slightly on one of his eyes he sees two objects instead of one simply because the object is no longer painted on the concording points of the two retinas if in the same conditions without touching the eyes you put a prism before one eye the same phenomenon takes place the object is doubled of course this doubling implies the existence of two eyes and two visions nothing of the kind takes place if the experiment is repeated with a one-eyed person you can verify it yourself by shutting one eye and slightly pressing on the other the object moves but is not doubled well in the unilateral amorosis of hystericals all these experiments and many others of the same kind give the same results as with normal subjects who see with both eyes the explanation based on fraud is very simple perhaps too simple in the case of persons who are not recruits and have not the least interest in giving themselves out to be one-eyed and must even pay the oculist when they take advice with a more attentive observation this first interpretation of things was given up we have all recorded our word on this question of course m bernheim spoke of suggestion i have myself insisted on the subconscious sensations which continue to exist in certain cases though the subject has no personal perception of them but now i acknowledge that m parinot has given the best formula of this special fact in a pretty disquisition on vision he showed that the existence of the two eyes and their position gave birth to two different visions first there is the monocular vision either separate or alternating which is the only one with many animals as horses whose eyes are on either side of the head they can look to the right or to the left they can alternate but that is all with animals such as man monkeys and some dogs whose two eyes are nearly on the same plane things are more complicated these beings may have not only the preceding monocular and alternating vision but also another vision called the binocular vision this vision consists in the synthesis of the two preceding ones which enables us to see only one object with two eyes this vision is an improvement on the preceding one in that it allows us to see the same object more clearly permits fixity and gives the appearance of relief it is the starting point of the experiment with the stereoscope generally we make use of this vision but we retain the possibility of using the inferior vision which we utilize in many cases sometimes involuntarily to see sideways or when one eye is tired sometimes voluntarily by shutting one eye when taking aim with a pistol or looking in a microscope now it is very curious to see that hystericals are able to effect the dissociation of these two visions the existence of which we scarcely suspected they mostly lose and this is an accident that was not known they lose the binocular vision that is to say the higher truly human vision only they do not complain of it it is the medical examination that will reveal to you this unexpected thing that an hysterical cannot look with a stereoscope and is unable to perceive the relief in ducot de Oron's anaglyphs but sometimes also they lose the monocular vision of one eye while keeping the binocular vision the preceding experiments by appealing to the binocular vision by making it necessary placed hystericals in conditions in which their disturbances did not appear you see that this singular amorosis has already dissociated the visual function in an amusing manner setting apart now the binocular now the monocular function two 
let us continue the examination of the hysterical disturbances of vision and we shall see that dissociation will still gain ground and enter into more delicate functions the most important symptom to be known now is the famous narrowing of the visual field on which we ought to be able to dwell for a long time you know that human sight owing to the dimensions of the retina extends over a certain surface the extent of the surface an eye can see simultaneously without moving is called the visual field no doubt all the points of this definition should be discussed it is not quite certain in particular that all the points of the visual field are seen simultaneously in a single act of attention but this definition is practically sufficient if you measure the visual field of a normal subject with those instruments which are called campimeters and perimeters the description of which would be too long you obtain the following figure which i have presented to you in this picture of the visual field of the right eye r in figure thirteen the field has the form of an irregular circle more extended on the external and on the inferior sides where it measures almost ninety degrees which means that the angles formed by the fixation point the eye for vertex and the limit of the visual field is of ninety degrees the circle is narrowed on the internal and superior sides where it is barely sixty degrees this very natural diminution is due as you may guess to the obstacle formed by the nose and the eyebrows well if you examine the visual field of hystericals you will recognize a very remarkable fact which very likely exists only in this neurosis the visual field is narrowed concentrically the extent of the simultaneous vision becomes smaller the field is almost circular at thirty degrees or twenty degrees as you see in the left eye of the figure thirteen sometimes the field has only ten degrees or five degrees and nothing is left but the fixation point it is true that a disease of the retina pigmentary retinitis and perhaps also certain forms of chronic glaucoma give rise to an analogous phenomenon but then in the first place the visual field has an irregular form and in the second place there are visible lesions of the fundus of the eye as regards the diseases of the nervous system it has been said that this concentric contraction of the visual field is found in epilepsy and in disseminated sclerosis this has been recognized to be false so this symptom becomes one of the most important of hysteria not for the patient of course but for the physician who makes use of it as a characteristic sign this contraction of the visual field has interesting psychological properties it is quite a matter of indifference to the subject and this is a curious fact on which i have elsewhere insisted as a matter of fact nothing is so inconvenient as a real contraction of the visual field you know how the unfortunate people who are affected with chronic glaucoma complain of being no longer able to glance over the newspaper because they see only one word or one syllable at a time these patients who however see very well in the centre can no longer find their way in the street hystericals who have an exceedingly small visual field run without in the least troubling themselves about it this is a curious fact to which i remember having attracted the attention of charcot who had not remarked it and was very much surprised at it i showed him two of our young patients playing very cleverly at ball in the courtyard of la salpetriere then having brought them before him i remarked to him that their visual field was reduced to a point and i asked him whether he would be capable of playing at ball if he had before each eye a card merely pierced with a small hole it is one of the finest examples that can be shown of the persistence of subconscious sensations in hysteria besides i had shortly afterwards the opportunity of making a still more precise experiment on the same point a young boy had violent crises of terror caused by a fire and it was enough to show him a small flame for the fit to begin again now his visual field was reduced to five degrees and he seemed to see absolutely nothing outside of it 
i showed that i could provoke his fit by merely making him fix his eyes on the central point of the perimeter and then approaching a lighted match to the eightieth degree the same experiment can be more simply realized by using suggestions of which we shall speak later a subject has received the order which he obeys unconsciously to raise his arm as soon as he sees a paper before his eyes the suggestion is executed even if the paper is put at the eightieth degree far out of the limits of his conscious visual field you see that this hysterical disturbance has not quite done away with the ocular perception in the lateral parts of the retina it is again a dissociation like the preceding ones we have two visions the central vision which is accurate and attentive and the peripheric vision which is vacant and of secondary importance you see that the hysterical keeps only the first consciously the second persisting quite subconsciously i cannot end this examination of the visual field without saying a few words on a very curious problem in which i took a particular interest can the visual field be modified only in this way in other words is the contraction always concentric we have not the time to examine the different faces of this problem i shall only insist on one can we meet in hysteria with the hemiopical visual field or with the phenomenon of hemionopsia the question is more important than it looks hemionopsia that is to say the vision of only one half of the visual field is a frequent phenomenon often succeeding cerebral lesions the section of the optical nerves gratiolet's radiations the lesions of the occipital lobes of the cuneus do away with the vision in one of the vertical halves of the retina and you know that the lesion is distinguished by the place and form of this hemianopsia after some fluctuations physicians had come especially after gilles de la tourette's work to deny absolutely the existence of hysterical hemianopsia and to reserve this symptom for organic lesions this decision is not tenable a priori i do not see any reason why the functional disturbance of hysteria should not realize the same symptoms as the organic destruction of the centre of the function every function as we said when treating of paralyses finally has when it is old its organic centre and in certain cases the functional and organic disturbances may be alike besides did we not unquestionably establish this fact when we studied hemiplegy there is no disturbance more symptomatic of a great lesion than motor hemiplegy and nobody denies that it takes place in hysteria it is the same with hemianopsia and in despite of theories we must recognize a fact if it exists after the preceding period of negation m desgerin in 1894 and i myself in 1895 presented the first authentic observations of functional hemianopsia i think i gave the demonstration of the hysterical character of this syndrome by showing the existence of subconscious sensations in the apparently suppressed part of the visual field figure fourteen since then i have had the opportunity to show other equally distinct cases a schema of which you see here figure fifteen in a paper which appeared in the brain in eighteen ninety seven w harris presented analogous cases he pointed out in particular as i had done myself some cases in which hysterical hemianopsia begins with amaurosis it is at the time of the recovery from an hysterical amaurosis that the visual field takes in many cases the hemianopsic form for some time i refer you with respect to this to my paper on transitory hemianopsia en cas d'hemianopsie hystérique transitoire la presse médicale october twenty five eighteen ninety nine page two four one these phenomena of hemianopsia should not i think astonish us beyond all measure and induce us to transform our general conception of the neurosis the study of the anatomical localization of the vision leads us to conceive a particular distribution of vision on the retina 
suppose a man having only one eye in the middle of his forehead like the cyclops or if you prefer it two eyes placed one under the other in the middle of his head each of these eyes will have a right half and a left half like the rest of the body and a distinct function of the vision to the right and of the vision to the left will form comprising the two right halves and the two left halves of the two eyes later the two eyes separated and disposed themselves otherwise but the function has remained the same and there is still now a function of the vision to the right and another of the vision to the left these functions may become dissociated in hysteria just as all the others only as these functions are very old the dissociation seldom goes so far it exists sometimes however and hysterical hemianopsia is a profound accident which can be compared to motor hemiplegy three you can now apply the same method yourselves to the interpretation of all the other visual disturbances which are still very numerous i will only point out to you dyschromatopsia that is to say the loss of the vision of colors it frequently happens that hystericals while still having a good visual acuity cease to perceive colors or at least certain colors violet blue and green seem to vanish first red appears to be the most persistent color this fact was formerly considered as accounting for the fondness of hystericals for red they are fond of dressing in showy colors of putting red ribbons in their hair the reason is it was said that these colors are the only ones they continue to see there is some exaggeration in this and it is more likely that moral reasons such as the very curious need they feel to be noticed play a more considerable part in this phenomenon i think also that this loss of colors has been examined with exaggerated accuracy a visual field of colors has been drawn and efforts have been made to prove that in hysteria this visual field is modified in a regular manner the visual field of blue for instance becoming in this disease smaller than that of red it may be so but i advise you to be cautious in this study first of all the perception of colors at the periphery of the visual field changes very much even in a normal person according to all kinds of conditions and in particular according to the lighting besides in hystericals the influence of the association of ideas plays an enormous part in the perception of colors a young woman saw red flowers put on her father's coffin it made her very angry because these flowers constituted a political emblem she now holds red in abhorrence and has on that account a very fine perception of red and a visual field for red more extended than for white special account should be taken of the part played by perceptions and ideas in the dissociation of the small details of vision particularly in the accidents of painful vision of fears of certain colors of photophobia which i merely point out to you i wish to insist before ending this lesson on some other accidents the types of which i must at least indicate to you these accidents are the disturbances in the motion of the eyes about which you will notice as many complications as about vision itself let us not speak of the movements of the eyelids you will again find here the phenomena of paralysis tics contractures which we have already studied but let us dwell a little on ophthalmoplegy such as was pointed out by le breton ballet bristow and especially by koenig in 1891 because it is again an interesting phenomenon as regards interpretation certain subjects seem to become unable to move their eyes they have an absolutely fixed look which seems strange such fixity of the look is often connected with an automatic fixation of certain objects or with certain hallucinations this is the most frequent case and when one can divert the subject from his fixed idea he looks in every direction but in certain cases which have as yet been rather seldom described it is not so the subject looks at nothing fixedly he can look at different objects but only by turning his head 
it is his eyes that do not move earlier authors among them morax and parinot showed that this immobility is purely in connection with the will if the subject wants to look sideways if he is asked to do so if he thinks of it he cannot manage it but do not think it is an absolute immobility it is sufficient to let an object fall noisily near him without warning him and his eyes will immediately and rapidly turn in this direction in a word here as always the subconscious and automatic motion is retained whereas the voluntary motion is lost these disturbances of the movements of the ocular muscles may be less simple and consist in spasms in irregular contractures then of course the eyes will deviate in one direction or the other and you will have all possible forms of strabismus the diagnosis of which is also important lastly the disturbance of the ocular motion may affect the internal muscles and particularly the muscles of the crystalline lens here again we have a function that becomes dissociated that of accommodation instead of being able to accommodate their eyes to very various distances from thirty centimetres to the horizon these patients have only a very limited accommodation their eyes are an optical instrument in crystal adjusted to a given and immutable distance when you find the exact distance to which they are accommodated fifty centimetres for instance or one metre an object placed at this distance is seen quite clearly but it is no longer seen at all if you put it nearer or farther this spasm of accommodation is connected with a great many hysterical disturbances on which i am very sorry not to be able to dwell monocular diplopy polyopy macropsia micropsia etc now objects are seen double or triple and that by a single eye which from the point of view of optics seems quite paradoxical now they are seen too large or too small or deformed in a thousand ways i have described in this connection some very odd phenomena objects appearing to the subject too big or too small in one of their halves only and quite normal in the other a kind of hemimacropsia i shall only point out to you if not two theses at least two tendencies in the interpretation of these odd phenomena Monsieur parinot and his school sought a physical interpretation of the accidents in the contracture of the crystalline lens others attribute a more important part to psychological phenomena you have here a fine field open to your personal researches you see what would be the richness of a study that bears upon the hysterical disturbances of visual perceptions let us only retain the two following general notions first the disturbance is never very profound and always bears solely on attentive and voluntary perceptions it always spares the elementary sensations reflexes anatomical movements second the disturbance seems to consist in a very curious separation of the different functions united in the vision which all at the same time or each in its turn separate from personal consciousness and seem to proceed henceforward on their own account end of section nine